following is a sermon preached at Grace Church of Orange, California. Join us now as we go verse by verse through God's inspired, inerrant, infallible Word. Good morning. There we go, on stereo. It's good to be here. I don't get to attend second service very often. In fact, practically never since I I teach a Logos class this hour, generally. And um, so I get to be with you today. And it's a blessing to be able to share God's Word. Uh, What we're going to be looking at this morning is um, something that I've been thinking about for the last year especially. And God has placed on my heart and uh, really convicted me about my speech, about the way that I communicate with other people. And um, I know that there are times when I've hurt other people and harmed other people with the words of my mouth, and I feel really badly about that. The Spirit's working in my heart, and uh, I'm asking God to purify my my, my words, and to make them pleasing in His sight. And uh, so, really, this sermon, this message for you today is really to me. And I'm just going to let you listen in a little bit. Would that be okay? And if God speaks to your heart, that will be great. So, if you would, stand with me. We're going to go to Ephesians uh, chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses uh, 29 to 32 this morning. Ephesians chapter 4 beginning in verse 29. It says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Lord, we pray that as we consider these words that you have imparted to us, that indeed we would take them to our hearts so that our hearts would be changed in ways that are pleasing to you by the work of your Spirit, and that the words of our mouth would reflect that which is truly in a changed heart. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know about you, but there have been times that I wish that I could take back words. They just come out of my mouth so quickly, and I just wish, I wish I could have those words back. I wish I had a second chance to say them. I thank God I, I have a wife that I practiced this on a, uh, for a, a long time, and she is so wonderfully gracious that she forgives me before I hardly get the words out of my mouth, but I wish that it weren't that way, and I'm sure you've been there too. And It's happened to me more times than I really want to want to admit, that, not that I'm keeping score, but uh, you know, I think about the times I've spoken thoughtless comments and maybe even demeaning remarks, and uh, there have been outbursts of anger in my life that are shameful to the Lord. This would never be. Uh, there have been words of derision and cynicism, and maybe even, at times, verbal jabs intended to inflict emotional, emotional pain. Those are the kind of things that ought not to be in my life, and I'm sure you're thinking the same thing. And then we live in this this crazy age of social media, where uh, it somehow makes people feel they have the freedom to say almost anything on the internet that comes to their minds. Things that they would never dare, would never pass their lips in a face-to-face conversation. You've seen that? I have. And sometimes it's absolutely shocking. I can't, wait a minute, I thought that person was a believer. But if they say things like that, well, maybe not. 
May that may never be said of us. But of course, uh, we do understand that whether the words are verbal or words that we type into a computer, a keyboard, uh, that we can never really uh, completely take them back. They're like the, those feathers to the wind. That once they're gone, they, they scatter all about. These days, spread around the world. So words that we speak verbally or into our not-so-smart devices, uh, they can never be unspoken. And once they've been heard, they can, never, they, can, they can be generally forgiven, but it's really, really hard for them to be unheard. They're there. They linger in the backs of our, of our minds. By God's grace, He allows us to purge our minds and to move forward, but uh, at the same time, uh, they're there in the deep recesses. And I don't want to be a person that inflicts those kind of words on somebody, I, I can think of, of, of moments that, uh, that hurtful words have come back in my mind, toxic words, from many, many years ago, they come back like that. I'm in a conversation and, and uh, someone speaks a word and it triggers a memory. It's not a good memory. And it gets replayed with crystal clarity in my mind. And sometimes even at night in bed, I think about those things. And I have to go back and say, God, help me to purge that which I thought was already purged. Have you ever been there? Yeah, so we wanna, don't we want to be a people that like never put those words out in the first place? I would like to be that person, for sure. Uh, no wonder James describes our tongues as a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Isn't that true? And I thank God, though, that uh, far more often than recalling hurtful words, I recall, recall words of blessing and, and encouragement. I was um, sharing with guys in the patio before I came in a little late this morning, and I said, I, knew a, I know a guy that, uh, I've known a gentleman for over 50 years. He's in his 80s now. I met him in his 30s. And I, I have a close working relationship with that person for many years, still see him often. I've never heard an unkind word pass his lips. Not once, never, not once. I'd like to be that person. How about you? Learned a lot from him. So as we begin this uh, new year, I think this is a great time for us to do some serious uh, self-assessment, particularly about how we communicate. Asking the question, is, is my speech God-honoring in everything, everything that I say? Do we consistently bless others with our, our speech? Starting, by the way, with the members of our own household who know us best and hear us at our worst. Do, do our words uh, like reveal to us and others our, the spiritual condition of our hearts? Actually, they, 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 they do. And uh, we, need to look hard, we need to look hard at what the Word of God has to say. And the Bible has a great deal how to, say, uh, uh, to say about how we communicate. When we speak, um, do people sometimes hear uh, the person described in the Psalm 57, the psalmist says this, My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down among fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Is that who people hear when we speak sometimes? Are they um, more like the godly person described in Proverbs? 
He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. I don't know about you, but I just settled to have pretty much anybody as my friend. Uh, but God calls us to purity of speech, speech that is gracious. So the passage we're going to be looking at today describes four kinds of speech, two that are, that are toxic and destructive and two that are gracious and honoring to our Lord. So uh, you already know which one, two, you're going to want to choose. But we need to look at all of them today. We're going to look at speech that corrupts. We're going to look at speech that builds up. We're going to look at speech that, that, that grieves and speech that blesses, speech that blesses. So look at verse 29. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. The first part of that verse, if you would, please. Now think about it. The word let there is the first clue that this is something that we are responsible for. We are to let no word pass our lips. We're responsible for that which we speak. By the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit transforming us from glory to glory, we can purify our speech. But, there's, but the standard here is let no corrupting. How much corrupting talk? Class? None. No. The standard is none. There's no corrupting talk should ever pass our lips as believers. When, when corrupting talk happens in our lives, we defame the name of our Lord. We bring into question our commitment to Him. Colossians 4.6 says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That includes when people are harsh to us, or unkind to us, or cutting to us. People use their verbal swords to tear us apart. We still need to be a people who speak graciously. There's no room there even for corrupting talk. And what's really sobering about this is that our speech reveals what's really truly in our hearts. Let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths. The corrupting talk that, we're, that Paul is talking about here uh, isn't, the, <clears throat> isn't the, the kind of talk that corrupts us. It does, but profane and crude and thoughtless and mean words not only reveal what's going on in our hearts, but habitual corrupting talk ultimately corrupts those around us. Think about that. So there's kind of like this circular thing goes on. Corrupting talk comes from a corrupted heart. And corrupting talk further corrupts us. Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is explaining this to his disciples. And he's saying in verse 18 in Matthew 15, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. So the defiling speech comes from our heart. And it defiles us. It further defiles us. So out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. So let's be clear about it. Gracious, kind, gentle speech in and of itself doesn't prove that we are followers of Christ. But it should be the hallmark of every believer. Let's keep in mind that there are many, of non, uh, many non-Christians who are gracious and thoughtful in their speech. Certainly are. It doesn't make them Christians. But corrupting talk that comes out of our mouths brings into question whether we truly love the Lord Jesus. That's a scary thought, isn't it? 
This whole idea of corruption, defiling, unwholesome, foul, profane, worthless, vulgar. Those are the kind of words that corrupt us and corrupt other people. And how much should come out of our mouths? None. Let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths. So speech that corrupts, and then we find speech that builds up, speech that builds up other people. And for that matter, gracious words build us up. Corrupting words tear us down. Gracious words encourage us and other people. So it says here in the latter part of verse 29, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So we want to be a people who give grace to those who hear, and we give grace by encouraging them. Edifying speech are words that we say or that we write that help others grow in their faith. When we speak words that help others grow in their faith, building them up, it could be words that are simple. It could be words of a simple testimony. What I love about the body of believers and the communication that we have with one another is as we feed on God's word, as it is in the very depths of our soul and in our hearts, it kind of comes out in our conversation. It's like the fabric of who we are as a church. And when it's pure and kind and holy, it's kind of the warp and the wolf of the fabric of our, of our body of Christ here. And we encourage one another. We build one another up as we just speak a word. Some, it doesn't have to be a speech, just a word of blessing. God, God is working in my life in wonderful ways. He's responded to my needs and such. And God's word comes to our minds and we share that with one another. It's so important. And sometimes we can even open God's word with one another. Maybe often. I love uh, Acts 20, 32. It says this, And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The word of God is the word of grace. and It alone is able to build us up with one another. So why should we know God's word? Why should we be immersed in God's word? Because it transforms us and allows us to encourage other people and help them grow in their faith. Again, all edifying faith is rooted and based on truths of God's word. Again, another example, 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 11, it says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, here it is, verse 11, therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you are doing. Build up one another with the truth of God's word. As we put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet, the hope of salvation. And recognize that God hasn't destined us for wrath. He's destined us for grace and eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ for all who would believe and trust in Him. Let's encourage one another with that word on a regular basis, starting again in our own homes. And notice here, the words that we speak to build up one another should be appropriate words, words that fit the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Words that fit the occasion. Earlier in this chapter, Paul makes clear the work of building up one another is essential for the proper working of the body of Christ, that is, the church, in this place. 
Going back in this chapter, Ephesians 4, looking at verse 15 and 16, it says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in Him in every way, who is, who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we're to be a people who speak the truth in love. That is the truth of God's word in love. I think we all understand that speaking the truth in love is not licensed to speak everything that is true every, every time. We're, call, we're all called to speak the truth all the time. We understand that. But not all that is true is necessary for us to speak. It needs to be words that fit the occasion. That's exactly what the Word of God said. We need to be mindful of that. Guys, I'm going to help you with this this morning. Those of you who are married. So, wife comes home and she says, you like this dress? Now, what is she really saying? She's saying, I love this dress. I'm so excited about this dress. And I'm really hoping you'll say something really nice about it. But being the brutes that we are, once in a while we'll say, well, you know, well, we don't quite say that's ugly, but we somehow communicate that. So what is the words then that we say that actually fit the occasion? Wife's looking for encouragement. We're thinking something just the opposite. Well, I thought about this quite a bit, practiced on my wife a little bit, dangerous thing to do, but I did, and I came up with this, and I don't know it's perfect, sweetheart, I love everything you love, and I love you in that dress. Well, (laughs) okay, it may need a little extra work, because she's going to know exactly what I'm saying, but at least I'm not hitting her with the the bludgeon, you know, you have to think about it. Words that fit the occasion. Now, ladies, you could help us out here a little bit. You could say, instead of, I love, you love this dress. I mean, look how beautiful. Maybe you could just say, honey, I brought home a dress, and I'm wondering if it really fits, uh, that works for me, you know? Um, I'd like your advice. That's a little different. It, it doesn't leave that big hole for us to fall into. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, whatever it is, I like Proverbs. Proverbs 25 Verse 11 says, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word fitly spoken. Guys, you want to give your wife beautiful jewelry? Give her some of those apples of gold in settings of silver. Words that are rightly spoken. Think about that. So back to those edifying words. Encouraging, teaching, admonishing, even singing to and with one another about God's word. You know, I, I think that's so important. We'd be, we'd be a people that constantly encouraging, not sometimes, all the time. It's a pattern of our lives. We're teaching, we're admonishing. Now, <clears throat> I'm not going to be that guy that sings a lot at, at all to other people, so you're off the hook on that one. But, you know, there are times that we sing to one another. I, I, I love it when we're in church and we sing together. We're mindful of one another as we sing together. And we stop. I stop every once in a while. And just listen to the church sing. Encouraged by that. Blessed by that. And I love those quiet moments when parents especially, I think of my daughter and son-in-law, I've got to hear them a few times. They sing to their children when they put them to bed. Uh, What beautiful words of God's grace and love based on the power of his word. I mean, this doesn't get better than that. 
You know, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So God calls us to do. He calls us to, to, to speak and to sing words that build up other people. But there's this other class of words that uh, are pretty sobering, words that grieve, speech that grieves in verses 30 and 31. But do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. How much? All of it. You know, it's sobering to think, and from time to time I do try to reflect on this, that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God who indwells every believer, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God tells us. We can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Again, our, our words reveal our heart condition, and when, when we evidence a corrupt heart, a bitter heart, a heart that harshly judges others, that boils within with anger, that erupts in uncontrolled outbursts, I speak words intended to inflict pain on other people. The most Holy Spirit of God is grieved. It's grieved. The one, the very one who leads us into all truth, who comforts us in our affliction, who convicts the tender hearts of ongoing sin, and so much more. The Holy Spirit is not only grieved, he's quenched. Our words, which can be a flaming Fire inflicted on the ears of others is a wet blanket thrown on the flame of the Holy Spirit. Sorry, is it not? Exactly the opposite of what he intends for us. And so I want to look at uh, five things that Paul gives the Ephesians here in these verses. Uh, actually, six examples of how we grieve the Holy Spirit. How we grieve the Holy Spirit. The first is, is bitterness. Bitterness that produces bitter words. It's like vinegar that's gone bad. Bitterness of the heart grows like an emotional malignancy. It's born out of an unforgiving spirit and, and a sense of unfairness in our lives. And it smolders in our hearts and, and it sours our disposition. And inevitably, inevitably it shows up in our, in our communication, in our speech. That's why Hebrews 12, 15 admonishes us and we ought to pay close attention. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many have become defiled. Bitter hearts are hearts that cannot bless other people, cannot speak words of blessing. And then you've got wrath. Wrath is, wrath is taking upon ourselves the judgment of others, that belongs to God alone. We judge others and we deem them unworthy of our gracious speech. Whether that's thoughtful or whether it just happens, we're really taking the place of God Himself. Our wrath, purloined from God, is unrestrained rage that erupts in a moment. So our wrath is poured out on others when that belongs to God and God alone. And it corrupts us. May it never be. And then you've got anger. Anger, uh, I think we all understand anger pretty well. 
but it, it, it arises from this deep sense of injustice or, or dishonor. We think that somehow somebody has dissed us. Anger erupts. We just haven't got our way. or We don't like something simple. We make a big deal about it. Okay, there is such a thing as righteous anger. We understand that. When people, when we see people, hear people trample upon the grace of God and dishonor His name, but even then, even then, we're not to let it smolder. We're not to let the sun go down on our wrath and our anger. Matthew 5, 21, Jesus speaks of this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your guilt at the altar and there remember that your brother is something against you, leave that gift, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So what this is saying is that when we say to someone, you fool, when we're anger, when we hurl judgments, when we judge other people in that way, deem them worthy, not worthy, of our grace, not only are we taking the place of God, but we're guilty, literally guilty of murder. We're liable before the Lord. Anger is a serious thing. And then you've got clamor. You've got clamor. What's clamor? Clamor, uh, we understand that. Clamor literally, the word here literally is unrestrained shouting. I think of protesters screaming obscenities in the corner. There's no place for believers to ever, ever do that. It doesn't mean we can't protest something graciously. But clamor should never be part of us. And by the way, clamor is not just those guys. Clamor sometimes is our insistence to be heard when it's not our turn, or it doesn't need to be our turn. It's verbally stepping on other people who are trying to say something. But we just can't wait for them to stop so we can get our words in. Speaking but not listening. Then you've got slander. Slander is a pretty serious word. Uh, <clears throat> uh, the Greek word, which I, my wife told me not to try to pronounce, is, that was wise counsel. But it was, it was <clears throat> the Greek word is meant to sound like whispers about someone behind their back. Sounds like whispers behind someone behind their back. The idea is twisting or misstating something with the intent to defame someone's character, to intentionally hurt someone. Slander. We should be a people who never, ever let that happen. Gossip, so often, is a form of slander, isn't it? Speaking about somebody and twisting what they're saying. I heard a situation like that uh, recently, not in this church, thank God, and it caused enormous amounts of pain and suffering on the part of people who were slandered. Then you've got malice. Malice is a desire, an intention to purposely hurt someone. It's very closely related to slander. Um, it's basically saying again, you're not worthy of my blessing or my gracious speech. It's that evil intent. It's it's, it's that premeditated, hateful word. And think about these things. Not only do these, these, um, these attitudes of heart and these words hurt other people, 
but they ruin our spiritual appetite, this bitterness, this wrath, this, this anger, this clamor, this slander, this malice. When, they, when these words come out of our mouth, we're not interested in God's word coming into our ears. First Peter 2 puts it this way, <clears throat> beginning in verse 1, it says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. We're to be a people that desire the, the milk of God's word. You know, I've been around babies a lot in my life. One thing I've noticed about them is they want to be fed. By my estimation, it's about every five minutes. And if they're not fed, they make it known right away. Well, when we speak words that are full of bitterness and anger and clamor and malice, that, that quashes our spiritual appetite. We're not interested in the things of God's word. We ought to be like those newborn babes, eager to hear God's word, eager to receive it and to be taught by it, transformed by it. Then we have, finally, speech that blesses, speech that blesses. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Do you, do you know someone who blesses other, others with almost every word out of their mouth? I mentioned one person I know earlier. Uh, don't you want to be around that person? I do. Don't you want to be that person? <sighs> yeah. Is it possible? By God's grace. I think we can be more of that person, can't we? So how, how, do we, how do we bless others with our words? Verse 32 gives us at least a starting point. We're to be kind. We're to be tenderhearted. We're to be forgiving. Because that's exactly how Christ has blessed us. Colossians 3.12, Put on then God, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate heart. The idea of kindness is compassion. Kindness is compassion, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. First Peter 3, verse 8, starting there, says, Finally, all of you have a unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to do this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Now notice here, when we, God has called us, God has called us to be a blessing to other people. And when we're a blessing to other people with our words, we in turn are blessed. It's an amazing thing. Just as corrupting words that come out of a corrupt heart further corrupt our, further corrupt our hearts, so words of blessing that come from a, a, a right heart further encourage us in our hearts and build us up and build others up. This passage goes on in 1 Peter and says, whoever desires to love life and see good days... Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. So, let me just give you a few things to think about. Words that bless, and how we can offer more words that bless. First and foremost is be mindful, to choose our words carefully, to think about them, to wait those three extra beats before we respond. Or for me, it sometimes takes five minutes. But let, let's not just... Blurt out the first thing that pops into our minds. It usually is not good. Let's stop and think about it for a moment. Be mindful of it. 
One writer talks about taking a 30-day tongue fast. That's interesting. Um, each day, choosing not to say certain things, like not complaining, not choosing to speak harshly or intimidate, not to curse or use crude language. Just decide that that's not going to happen. By the way, uh, some professing believers attempt to justify profane language in some circumstances. I've never really got that. The standard here, we've already read of it, is that no. How much? No. Corrupting talk come out of our mouths. So I don't know where that comes from, but I've heard it. Um, I don't see how that kind of language ever, profane language, is acceptable to God. Even at work, where it goes on all the time. And I know, understand the language. I worked in construction for three years. I heard things that I'm still trying to expunge from my brain. I get it. But uh, we, we need to work on it. You know, there's, a, there's, a, um, there's over a half a million words in the English language, not counting arcane and, and technical terms. Half a million. Seems like we should be able to find a few of those to express our strong feelings that aren't profane. What do you think? Like, like oh my. <laughs> I'm working on that too. Okay. Back to James chapter 3. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of a deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brother, these things ought not to be so. Amen? Ought not. So, be mindful. Secondly, choose to bless. Be intentional. Look for opportunities. Instead of waiting for, to bring that conversation back to ourselves and unleashing our me monster, we choose to speak words of blessing by actually listening and responding in ways that encourage others and let them know that they're important to us. We consider others more important than ourselves, at least once in a while, on occasion. It's God's standard. By His grace, not ours, we can choose to do that. Proverbs 22.11, He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as a friend. I read that earlier. Let's not forget that. And then we're to think about building up others, intentionally building up others. We've talked about that quite a bit, so I'm not going to go back to that, but make that on your list of things to be thinking about. How do I build up others? How can I be more intentional? How can I encourage and comfort and even lovingly exhort one another with the intent of strengthening others in their faith? And then, this is pretty clear, this passage makes it really clear that we are to be quick to forgive. When we forgive, we don't let bitterness take root. We are to forgive as God has forgiven us. The standard is clear as God forgives, completely, graciously, at great cost. An unforgiving heart cannot produce True words of blessing. Just can't. And then be mindful. Um, I'm going to come back to think about our words. Think about our words. Specifically, how they impact others. Some of us have heard a lot about self-awareness in recent years. I hear a lot about self-awareness. I think it's one of those self-help books that people read and then it gets into our vocabulary. And um, it's mostly understood as being aware of our own strengths and weaknesses, who we really are person. Well, there's part of that is true, but it's not the most important part at all. Actually, self-awareness is the intention and discipline of actually being aware of how our words and emotions impact other people. 
what we say impact different people in different ways. We need to be people who are students of how we're impacting other people with our words. The words that we think are, going, are really, are that joke that we're saying, we thought it was really funny, they're not laughing at all. And we don't even see it. So we need to be mindful that the words we speak actually fit the occasion. It's being other-focused. Self-aware is being other-focused with the intent to show goodness and kindness and grace on others. That feels like an amen. Amen. And then finally, we need to pray for God-pleasing speech. God-pleasing speech. The psalmist prayed, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. You know, we're we're never going to clean up our verbal act just because we're going to work it up. Speaking graciously, not letting corrupting words ever come, ever come out of our mouths, is not an act of solely of our will. We have a responsibility. Words come out of our mouth. But it is the work of God in our hearts, in our lives, that we invite in. Change my heart, O oh God, make it ever true. Change my heart. Let me be more like you. So this, this psalm, Psalm 141.3, set a guard over my mouth, keep watch over the door of my lips. Lord, help me to say things that are gracious. That's why the psalmist, Psalm 19, verse 14, a passage that I've thought about many, many times and prayed. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord. Start with my heart. Change my heart. Then I can change my word. Lord, help me to do that. Then I leave you with this. Choose to bless someone today. So I'm looking out in this congregation at you and I'm seeing several people, a lot of people that have been a blessing to me. I'm thinking of one person particularly whom I will not mention who's been an incredible blessing to me for many, many years. I need to tell that person you're a blessing to me and give them a specific example. So I just want to challenge you today is start with choosing to bless someone with your words. Be intentional about it. Be specific. Encourage them and build them up in the faith. And God will, in turn, bless you, strengthen you, encourage you. And God will, if we're consistent in doing this, transform this church. This is a great church, by the way. Wonderful church. I love this church. I rarely ever hear anything unkind come from anyone's lips in this church, although I've heard about a few things. God will bless us all the more as we bless one another by his grace. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you for this time. We pray that you would impart to us the power of your word that can only transform us. It's the only thing, Father. So, Lord, we do pray together that the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Grace, please visit our website at graceorange.org.